The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony. the end but he is a friend of mine mile high mario and i am your host nick ferguson and this is secondary perspective halloween is right around the corner tomorrow so i hope you have a safe time out there trick-or-treating i like that new intro nick yeah yeah that was fire right there yeah i'm a little scared (laughs) <laughs> try, try to spice it up it's a spooky spectacular here with secondary uh perspective of course a lot of things happening uh tonight or happened last night we'll get to that later on we have bill lasky join us he joined us uh last week and talk about the san francisco giants and the kansas city royals he'll join us later in the program nba tvs nba.com on bo estes will join the program and we'll talk about uh, the game tonight uh, we'll talk about the matchup between the Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, well, David Blatt and LeBron have enough in the tank to cross the finish line. And with that, Mario, I have to say, once again, I had a spectacular weekend. I know I talked about going to see the movie John Wick, but uh, it didn't work out that way. I ended up seeing uh, the Book of Life, and it was a very interesting uh, story within itself. had a lot of heartfelt uh, conversation, dialogue, and a lot of meaning behind it. Uh, the kids and the wife really loved it, but that's how I spent, uh, you know, uh, my weekend. Real quickly, tell me about yours before we get our first guest on the line. Hey, did you end up seeing the uh, uh, the Age of Ultron? Yeah, well, wait, 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 wait. I, I I saw that, but. Hold that. Just just hold hold that thought. Don't don't jump into that right away. I just I got I just got it. I just want to make sure that you saw it. Of course, of course I I, I saw that. We'll I've seen back. it I've seen it like five times already. So you've already contributed to I guess the uh two hundred million people who've already watched that trailer. 
Well, because there was a there was like the original trailer, like the real basic one, and then there was an extended trailer where they're all like trying to pick up Thor's hammer at the beginning. Right. You, have you seen that one? I've, I've seen I've seen that one. But okay, listen, I'm, listen. I'm just I'm just making sure. Yes, I, I've seen I've seen that one. So let's let's not go too far uh, <laughs> into that right away. I want to bring in our first guest, uh, NBA TV, NBA.com. Uh, Bo Estes joins the program. And, and Bo, uh, last night, you know, for, for me, I watched the OKC game. And and for you, I'll, ask the, I'll start by asking you this question. You know, Kevin Durant had to carry the team last season when Michael, when Westbrook went out. Uh, but can Westbrook carry this team? Because what I saw last night, I mean, he ran out of gas at the end of the game. 38 points, three rebounds, six assists, and three steals. But... 33 minutes in the game. I mean, can you ask that much of Westbrook to carry this team? Well, I think it was pretty obvious that he sort of ran out of gas in the second half. 26 of his points came in the first half. Uh, But, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook is a superstar in this league. He is great, great, great. Uh, And that he is not able to score with the efficiency uh, of his teammate Kevin Durant is not really a crack on him. Kevin Durant's probably the best scorer of his generation. Uh, I think that Russell Westbrook can carry his team when everybody gets back healthy besides Kevin Durant uh, as far as beating the sub-500 teams, those teams that you expect to not do terrifically the rest of the season. The Portland Trailblazers were a playoff team last year. They were a good playoff team last year. Uh, you know, Keep in mind uh, what they did against the Houston Rockets. So that's a really good team that OKC took on on the road and came up short but put up a really good fight. Uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, again, probably one of the two, three best point guards in the league right now and a scoring point guard. Nobody's more athletic. So I, I wouldn't want to take anything away from him, but you're right. He's, he's not able to do the same things that Kevin Durant can, that's for sure. Now, I, I've been feeling this question a lot on, on emails and on Twitter, but I, I'll let you take it. I mean, right now the Lakers are 0-2, and they, they host a game here in uh, Los Angeles against the L.A. Clippers. Uh, I mean, you lose your, your first-round draft choice in Julius Randle with a broken leg for the season. And, you know, I think the debate was, and this came from uh, at Mr. Gambler 88 and the question he wanted to ask is, uh, he, can the Lakers actually win 42 games? No. No, 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 no. Uh, certainly, you know, look, I, I don't think that it mattered uh, if Julius Randle stayed healthy or not, I don't think they're going to win 42 games because of a couple of reasons. First of all, they play in the Western Conference of the NBA, and that makes it even more difficult for them to try to get that number of games. On top of that, they're just not a very talented team as constructed right now. And Kobe Bryant, I'll say this, even in his absolute prime, Kobe Bryant, I don't think, could get this team into the playoffs. That's how much they lack talent around him. Kobe Bryant was 11 of 25 from the field last night. He scored plus 30 points, uh, 11 of 25, 44%. That's right on his career mark. So Kobe did what Kobe does last night. Uh, he just doesn't have anything around him. And I think that the Lakers are going to sort of reorganize the way that they play on the court. I, I think, you know, one lone bright spot this year has been Ed Davis. He's been a bit of a surprise through two games, been better than expected. But the Lakers just don't have much out there. Well, and especially taking into consideration that now Randall, who was their first-round pick, who's supposed to be their future, breaks his foot, and he's probably out for the rest of the year. I mean, it's not the way that you want to start off a career and, like, a new look for this Lakers team. Yeah, no, Randall was the hope for the future. You've got, you've got Carlos Boozer's been an all-star. 
Kobe's obviously been an all-star numerous times, but the one guy that you could say this may be a future all-star is Julius Randle. And right. to see uh, a couple of things, to see him go out like that, and I doubt there's any long-term damage to him because it's a clean break of the leg. So that's one thing. That's a good, but he doesn't get to develop. He doesn't get to play with Kobe Bryant for this season and learn the game in that way. And that's a loss for the Lakers. That's a loss that you really can't get back. And I think Julius Randle is a naturally gifted scorer. He's a physical guy. There's a lot of good things about Julius Randle, and I still think he's going to have a good career. I just think it's a real setback. But keep in mind, the Lakers have dealt with first-round draft picks forwards going down and breaking their leg in their rookie season before. A guy named James Worthy did that, and he turned out okay. So there, there's still hope for Julius Randle. Now, you know, to tonight, there's a matchup, and it's the first game of the season between the uh, first time we get a chance to see this new uh, Cleveland Cavaliers team uh, you know, against a Chicago Bulls team. And I think when you talk to most people around the league, they have these two teams in the Eastern Conference uh, final. How far can this newly formed dream team in Cleveland actually go? How far can Cleveland go? They can win the title. They can. I don't necessarily expect that to happen, but I think Cleveland and Chicago are the two teams that are really, really sort of separate from the rest of the pack in the Eastern Conference. You saw what Chicago did against New York last night, you'll get a chance to see what Cleveland can do against New York tonight. Uh, but I tell you what, I think that, uh, you know, for my money, I would almost rate Chicago slightly ahead of Cleveland at this point because you have to look back at the first year of the big three in Miami and the adjustment process they went through. This is a different dynamic in Cleveland now, obviously, but uh, these guys have got to get used to playing together. And I think the hope in Cleveland is that uh, the team that you see playing on Christmas Day, say, is a lot different than the team you see on March 25th. They'll learn Coach David Black's offense better by then. They'll have a better handle on that. They'll have a better handle on roles at that point as well. But I say this for Cleveland. The supporting cast beyond the big three, I think, is better than what they had in Miami. So give Cleveland an advantage talent-wise. I, just, I think that there's naturally some adjustment period. That's right. The New York Knicks, I apologize for the New York Knicks face, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And with that being said, I mean, they, they gave up so many points to Chicago uh, at the Madison Square Garden. And we've seen, you know, this triangle offense work before Kobe and Shaq, Michael and Pippen. Can this Carmelo-led team flourish in this new system under new head coach Derek Fisher? Look, I don't think that there's any system that this team flourishes under. I don't think that they have enough talent. Uh, I think Carmelo Anthony is a terrific scorer. I really do, uh, among the best in the league. But there's just not that much around him. Uh, Jose Calderon is among the best three-point shooters in the league. That's great. And, and, you know, he should learn the offense well and work well. But there's just not a ton of talent uh, for those New York Knicks. So I think that's the challenge that they face. And so I, I would hate to see the system graded poorly because the talent isn't there to execute that system. And I think that's the case right now in New York. Now, uh, Hall of Famer Michael Jordan himself said that uh, he dreams of winning a seventh title. So I have to ask the question. I mean, I already know what my perspective is on this, but <laughs> he's now asking this, this Charlotte Hornets team, to capture a title and then looking at the East as deficient as it might be in comparison to the West, can he do it with, with Kimball Walker, Lance Stevenson, Michael Kidd, Greg Gilchrist, and Al Jefferson? Can they or this group of guys bring that seventh title to Michael Jordan? 
Short answer is no. Uh, long answer <laughs> is no because they don't quite have the players yet, but they have some building block pieces. I think they need another guy. Lance Stevenson really does help, particularly if he's got his head on straight. So you get Lance Stevenson with Kemba Walker. With See, that's Al the Jefferson, biggest question mark right there is whether or not he has his under, head on straight. Because as the, as the, the year progressed last well, year, he got a little more and more crazy. Blocks, but I think the rest of the way that Charlotte needs more to get a title. Wow. You know what? You know, the, the Heat without, I guess it's the era without LeBron, James, both Wade and Bosch combined for 47 points uh, last night. Uh, when you look at this Eric Spolster-led team, and I know we're talking about, everyone say, well, uh, the Cavs are going to be the first seed and maybe Chicago Bulls being the second seed. When you look at teams like the Heat and the Hawks, what do you see them fitting into this race towards the end of the season? Well, I think the Miami Heat are going to be better than people expect. I, I actually saw people say that the Heat aren't going to make the playoffs. I can't believe that sort of prediction. The Heat have two definite all-stars in Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. I mean, they've been all-stars every year. And then you add on Lou Aldang, who's been an all-star before. Uh, and, and Norris Cole played out of his mind. I don't expect him to play that well the rest of the season. But he played really well last night. But Chris Bosh, and he talked on NBA TV last night with Dennis Scott about being that player that he was in Toronto, he's going to be that guy again. Last night, he had his first 25.15 rebound game in a Miami Heat uniform ever. And it was his first game out without LeBron on the team. So that tells you that he's accepted this new role and that he's embracing it. So I think that that's what you have to expect this year. Chris Bosh is going to be your scoring guy, your go-to guy, and he's going to be a different player but I think that the Miami Heat are, you know, four or five seeds, somewhere in there. The Hawks, uh, maybe six, seven seed. I like Toronto a lot in the Eastern Conference. I really, really like Toronto. And I think once Washington gets Bradley Beal back, they get Nene back, and they get their whole unit together, they're a really good team, too. If you just joined us, we're still talking to NBA TV and NBA.com analyst. Uh, Bo Essence, you can find him at NBA Bo on Twitter. I encourage you to follow him. Staying out here in the West, the Clippers, Doc Rivers gets a new contract, and Steve Ballmer replaces uh, Donald, the controversial Donald Sterling. So the question is, when you look at this team, they're very talented. They have a lot of playoff experience. How much pressure is there on the Clippers now that the Lakers, down who are down the hall, are very deficient to kind of push themselves to that upper echelon and not just the first round of the playoffs, but where we're talking about possibly winning the championship. No, I think you really should be talking about possibly winning a championship because I think the Clippers have that much talent and that much ability. And that's how much I believe in Doc Rivers. I think he's an amazing coach. One of the best in the NBA, uh, not just from an X's and O's standpoint, which I think he's very good at, but also I think he is a guy that the players can look to as a leader. And I think that really counts for a lot, uh, especially with a veteran group of guys like that. Uh, you know, you look at Chris Paul, you look at Blake Griffin. They, I mean, they have so much talent with the Clippers. I expect them to be right there at the end of the year uh, among a group of teams like OKC, San Antonio, uh, and, and, of course, the Clippers. I think those are your title favorites, uh, at least coming out of the Western Conference. And then you add in Chicago and Cleveland. I think you've got your five title favorites right there. Now, I guess for me, being a Heat fan that I am and, and very disappointing one, uh, I have to ask this question because I get this all the time. Can the Spurs and Popovich do it again? 
Well, yes, is the, they can. Uh, it, it, every year, for four or five years, I've talked about, is the window closing for the San Antonio Spurs? Last year, I decided I was done with that because they got to the finals and very likely should have beat the Heat, but the Heat just had so many clutch players that made so many clutch players down the stretch that they got that second title in a row. But I think, you know, that that's a motivating piece for the San Antonio Spurs. As good as they've been, they've never won back-to-back. Uh, and if you watch their opening game this year against Dallas, they were so darn efficient. Their big three all shot over 50% from the field. They did exactly what they needed to do, uh, taking uh, taking down a retooled and I'll say improved Dallas Mavericks team, and they did it in cool, calm fashion. So I think San Antonio, again, as they manage minutes throughout the season and just point to the playoffs, I think that's a team that's going to be very, very difficult to beat because they just know how to do it. Quick question real quick before we let you go. Of course, I'm out here in Denver, Colorado with my beloved Nuggets. Is there any hope at all that we turn it around and, you know, maybe make the playoffs and are relevant again? Give, give me a little bit of hope before we let you go. No, I, I think you could make the playoffs. I, th- I, think, I think that's sort of the goal. I don't think you're going to crack that top three, and if you want to include Golden State, top four out west. But, you know, we've just mentioned those four teams and then you got Portland out there that's five, and Houston that six. That six really good. That's a really top-heavy division. Yeah, or conference, it's, it's I should sort say. Sort of. I've heard people talk about it being sort of the SEC of the NBA, the Western Conference out there. It's just darn dominant. So what you have to think about is can you get those last two spots? And I think with the return of you know a, a healthier Danilo Gallinari, if JaVale does anything, I think Ty Lawson isn't healthy yet, and he has to get healthy because right. he's the engine that makes that thing go, and he can play at a speed that very few in the NBA can. Maybe Russell Westbrook, maybe LeBron James, maybe John Wall. That's about the four fastest guys you're going to see. So that's an advantage that Denver has. I think Kenneth Fareed gained a ton of confidence over the summer. He was a superstar for the Team USA in Spain. So and I that's the guy they were thinking about trading last year really before the deadline. Season. So, yeah, I, I just I think Denver can. I just I just don't think you're breaking into that top four. That's fair. Well, Bo, before yeah. we let you get out of here by ten seconds, it is Halloween tomorrow. Give me some of your top five list that of scary movies that made you question about going into dark rooms. <laughs> My favorite scary movie of all time is American Psycho. I will say that I walked out of the movie The Cell, and it wasn't a famous movie or anything like that, but I walked out and I said, whoever came up with this, this guy needs to be arrested now because this dude is demented. <laughs> I'll give you those two, man. Oh, well, there you have it. Bo Estes from NBA TV, NBA.com. Follow him at NBA Bo. I'm sure he will be tweeting Tonight, as the games are unfolding, that's right, Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. Thank you both for joining the program. Have a safe Halloween. Take care, fellas. All right, appreciate it. Coming up after the break, we're going to see if we get Bill Lasky on the horn to talk about the giant celebration over the Royals last night. It was a sensational series. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Come uh, as close as we came in a one run game. And to really, uh, as magical as our run has been, you know, to, um, you know, end up losing the ball game, you know, by 90 feet, you know, it's tough. It was a lot of fun, you know, I, I will admit, and it, you know, we had a blast, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, we didn't, we didn't win it all, and that, that was the main goal from, from day one. We gave it everything we had, we left it all on the field, we battled every day, uh, bounced back after tough losses, and uh, just came up short. You know, I wasn't thinking about how many innings I was going to go or how many pitches or, or any of that, just thinking about getting outs. And uh, fortunately for me, we had some, some pretty quick ones and it gave me a chance to stay out there, I think. Uh, so I'm you know, thankful for the opportunity. We got one of the best closers in the game. That first inning he came out, I could tell he was still trying to get loose a little bit. But after that, he was just, I mean, it was like he was in game five. I mean, he was just hitting his spots, moving at both sides of the plate, throwing the breaking ball. I mean, it's got to be one of the greatest performances in postseason history. Amazed with what these guys did, uh, and the fact that uh, we have won three times in uh, five years. It, it's not that easy. Well, with that said, you know it, it was a fantastic World Series, and someone who was closer to the game than I have been. Uh, that's Bill Lasky, and Bill Lasky is an in-studio analyst for Comcast in San Francisco, former pitcher for both the Royals. And the Giants and, and and Bill, I have to tell you, I was I really didn't know how this series was going to go, especially after Game Six when Kansas City uh, jumped out ten nothing on the Giants. But I knew something about this team; they had a lot of uh, re- resolve, and I picked this team coming into the series to actually win. But for, from a person who covers them on a day to day basis, how exciting was Game Seven for you? Totally exciting, and uh, this team is just relentless. I knew the ten nothing loss 
just, you know, pass the game, burn the tape, as they would say. Uh, when that game started uh, with Hudson against Guthrie, I knew it was going to eventually get to the bullpen just from the, all these starters. But I just didn't know how much Madison Bumgarner had in this tank. You know, they talked about starting him. I knew that Bruce Bochy would not change the rotation with Tim Hudson. And Tim Hudson went out there, 17-year career, finally getting a chance to win a World Series. What a great stellar guy he is. But we just didn't know how much Madison had. And once he got out there and the first guy got the hit and Fonte got the hit, he just looked flat to all of us. And we were just like, get through the inning. He got through the inning. Uh, didn't understand why Escobar butted. Escobar was a thorn in the giant side the whole World Series. But, again, at that time, we took the bunt, got out of the inning. And then it seemed like in the sixth inning, his arm got loose, and then he just got right back in the mode he was on Sunday. And this is two days ago. So um, he was just on fire. He retired 14 in a row. Unbelievable. 68 pitches he threw, 50 of them for strikes. And then the little hiccup he had on Gordon, oh, my goodness, everybody was jumping out of the seats when that ball got by Blanco. Perez muffed it in left center. We were wondering if Gordon was going to go for the inside to Parker. But it looked like he kind of hesitated between second and third. And then yeah, yeah. when he got Perez out, a remarkable time in Giants history, third World Series in five years as champions, and a team that literally lost Pagan in center field, Matt Cain, it's one of the starting pitchers, and Scudero at second, and put the team together and put it all together with Bruce Bochy, who's one of the finest World Series managers, postseason managers, and most likely will go into the Hall of Fame. Well, I have to tell you, you know, going down to that, that, that ninth inning when Alex Gordon uh, hit the ball and he dropped into center field and both Perez and Blanco uh, misjudged the ball, the first thing came to mind, I was like, Okay, is it really a team of destiny for this Kansas City team? 90 feet away from from tying the ball game and a sensational World Series. But you, you mentioned about losing the Giants, losing a couple of guys. Uh, one of the, the one of the guys who came up big for San Francisco, Pablo Sandoval, 12 hits in the series, ties a franchise World Series record. He is a free agent. So will the Giants have enough? Well, there's, a, there's no doubt they're going to go after him and try to do what they can because if you look at this infield they have, it's all born native giants that gone, went through the organization when you go with Belt, Panic, Crawford, and now Pablo. So I can't see them not giving him a rightful offer and trying to sign him, and he's already said he wants to stay to be a giant. So we'll see how that comes about the next month or so. Hey, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I had put this on Twitter last night. Uh, obviously, you brought up the situation where they had um, Alcides bunt over and basically uh, with a runner at second and one out, put the bat in Nori Aoki's hands, who I think maybe had like one hit the entire series, really struggled uh, throughout this entire playoffs. I mean, got a, got a good pitch to hit. He drove it to left, but, you know, the, def- the, the defense was just right there. So um, obviously we're going to question that. But something I think not a lot of people are going to bring up is why they brought Jeremy Guthrie out in the fourth inning. And that's the big difference between Bochy and Ned Yost. You know, Bruce Bochy knew Tim Hudson, you know, wasn't on his A game. He got out of there as soon as possible. He wasn't worried about hurting his feelings. It's like, yeah, this is a guy that's been in the league 
you know, for an extremely long time. He's you know, almost as old as Bruce Bochy is, but he's not going to let that affect his, his decision. He got what he could out of Hudson, sat him down, went to his bullpen. If Yost does the same thing with Guthrie, you know, I think they don't score that third run, and maybe we're seeing a different game. And, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but I remember thinking to myself, you know, Guthrie doesn't have it. He's going to have to face Pence and Sandoval once again, and then Belt, of course. And just after seeing the first series with them, I would have really liked them to go to their bullpen sooner. Uh, so what were your thoughts on that yeah, whole situation? I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. Guthrie did go on the fourth, and he gave up a hit to Pablo. The infield hit. Pence got a hit. But they brought Herrera in to face Michael Morse, who had him 0-2 and literally threw a 96-mile-hour tailing fastball on his hands, and the strength of Morse just pushed it out to right field. Just that so was strong. really the only blemish the bullpen really did the rest of the night. They were dominant with Davis and Holland just striking people left and right out. But then you go on the other side, bringing Affelt in, and he's been with this team forever, and he used to be a Kansas City Royal also and said, you know, I didn't get my chances with Kansas City. It was something that I had to prove back to them. And sure enough, he throws two and a third shutout. And uh, the play of panic at second base, that magnificent play, was, I thought, the play of the game yesterday that cost the Royals a win. So, well, and that's, and that's another situation I wanted to, I wanted to ask said, you about. Hosmer sliding into first. I mean, it's been said over and over and over again, like if – Someone running the 100-meter dash doesn't slide past the, uh, past the line. That's probably not the fastest way to do it. So why do yeah. we still see these professional baseball players, like in Hosmer's case, sliding at first? Because honestly, if he just runs through the bag, he's probably safe. And it changes yeah, the whole aspect of that ending. You. you should never dive at first base. It's already chronicalized that you lose a step, almost a step and a half when you start jumping into that slide instead of running through. And I think what's going to happen now with instant replay, you're going to have more cameras right on the base like they shot that because that was just a magnificent millimeter of a second before that hand got on the bag when the ball got in the belt's uh, glove. And right. I thought that was the turning point of that game. Absolutely. Once again, if you just join Secondary Perspective, we're talking to Bill Lasky, former pitcher for the Royals and the Giants, and in-studio analyst for Comcast in San Francisco. You can find him at Lasky19, L-A-S-K-E-Y-19. I got some great Twitter stuff up today, a great article that was done with Madison Bumgarner's dad, just to get on Twitter and read this article. It's just a, a chilling point from where he's grown up and how he grew up in the South and some of the great uh, pictures and things from the World Series from the Giants side and some articles. It's uh, just threw a lot of good stuff up on Twitter if you guys want to read something about the San Francisco Giants. And also the parade tomorrow will be uh, the host of the parade again. This is our second year doing it. Uh, we did it in 2012. We're going to do it in 2014. And another epic day in San Francisco to literally congratulate the San Francisco Giants winning three World Series in five years. So it'll be a fun day tomorrow. And then, of yeah. course, we'll see him. We'll see him back in there uh, in two years in 2016. <laughs> nah, we can't do that. We got to break the spell. Do it again next year. <laughs> well, well, Bill, don't forget now. Uh, tweet me some of those photos. I would love to put, post them on uh, on the page. Yeah, go to Lasky19, at Lasky19. I tweeted a lot of stuff out there. Take a peek back. There's a couple great articles, some good pictures. 
so take a look off my Twitter handle and uh, pull some stuff off of that because I'll keep throwing it out there as soon as uh, more stuff comes alive here with a lot of the inside photographs and all the inside reports from uh, Comcast Bay Area. And it's just going to be a fun couple weeks now to celebrate another World Series here for the San Francisco Giants. Well, Bill, before we let you get out of here, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, ask this particular question. Three titles in five years. You know, do it, is it now fair to call this Giants franchise a dynasty? There's, there's no doubt about it. You can't uh, talk about other baseball teams here in the last 10 years that have done what the Giants have done in three of the five. So it is a dynasty in my mind. And as well as all San Franciscans and San Francisco Giants fans, this is something that has been accomplished by all different types of players, all different types of teams, and the core guys that have been there from the Buster Poseys, the Pablos, the Madison Bumgarners, the Romos, uh, the Tim Lincecums, you know, guys that have been here for the last five years. This is a Destiny team and a dynasty. So I, I am going to say that. And for all National League fans, I think they know when the San Francisco Giants come to their town, it's going to be a tough series. And it's only going to get tougher now for the San Francisco Giants being three-time World Series champs. Well, there it is. You heard it from a man who played the game, who covers the game for Comcast in San Francisco. Once again, Bill, great stuff. Thank you for joining the program. And, and listen, Thank don't you so forget. Thank you so much for inviting me. And you know what? It's just from an ex-player to play with the Giants for six years, and I've been doing uh, analyst stuff for the last five for Comcast. It is just a joy to watch so many fans and so much love for the San Francisco Giants out here. And I just hope people in the East Coast, Central part of America just joins in and watches this because this has been a fun, fun ride, and uh, hopefully it'll continue. But uh, thanks for inviting me, and like I said, go Giants. Right, thanks, <laughs> there, Bill. There you go, Giants. You can also find Bill, once again, great articles, great follow on Twitter, at Lasky19. Once again, I encourage you uh, to do that. Giants 3-2, Game 7 over the Royals to win the series 4 to three. Uh, Mario, I want to shift gears for, for just a second. Uh, you know, I, I'm a lover of all things sports, but I'm going to give you something to listen to that I don't think that you've actually had a chance to catch uh, on, on television. You tell me what you think. Once you... Yeah, man. We're getting behind again. Okay, guys, listen up. Mark, you scared the bejesus out of me, man. Why you got to be creeping? <laughs> now, I don't know if you, you've had a chance to watch it. Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson, has a new uh, cartoon. Uh, what? On a, yes, Mike Tyson has a new cartoon on Adult Swim. And, and, and as you can see, he is doing his own voice. And just in case you missed it, I want pay attention to what Iron Mike has to say in his, in his dialogue. Man, look at all these pictures in here, man. We're getting behind again. Okay, guys, listen up. Mark, you scared the bejesus out of me, man. Why you got to be creeping? <laughs> scared the bejesus out of me. Man, listen, I, I sat here and I watched it with my wife, and we were rolling on the floor. I mean, it, 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 it is really funny. And you know what? I'm happy and I'm proud for, for Mike for all that he's been through in his life, his career, uh, inside the boxing ring, outside the boxing ring. But, you know, when you talk about celebrities finding ways to reinvent themselves, you know, you think of Snoop Dogg, you think of Madonna, and now you have to talk about Mike Tyson and put him into that conversation. But if you get a chance, you have 
have to watch it. It's the, it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, Mike Tyson on the He sounded like one of your characters, Nick. Yeah, it's, it's Mike Tyson Mysteries. It, it is hilarious. And, and it's Mike doing his voice. Not someone imitating Mike, but it's Mike uh, doing his, his, his own voice, man. But you definitely have to uh, check it out. Also, uh, I saw a photo of you. Uh, that you put on Instagram. <laughs> and it's on Twitter, too. On, on, tw- on Twitter. So if you go find it, follow him at Mile High Mario to catch out, check this photo out, of you in this Jack Sparrow type of outfit with eyeliner on. Savvy. I mean, okay. Was that, was, that, was that you? That was, was me. Your yeah. idea? I know it was you, but was that your idea or was that? Oh, well, I mean, it was, it, was, it was kind of my idea. Uh, the misses or the future misses uh, was going as a dead pirate, so I thought, well, I mean, I've always wanted to be Jack Sparrow. You know, I, it's one of my favorite movies, or I guess that whole series of movies. Love Johnny Depp and the character that he plays. I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to immortalize Captain Jack Sparrow. And that's what I did, man. So yeah, and I, I went the full yards. I'm gonna say before you can, Nick, I had the <laughs> eyeliner on and everything. Wait a minute, did you did you think that I for you know I was going to come at you about having the eyeliner on? Hey, I'm just saying, like, I know you're trying to blow up my spot, but I, I, I thought I looked good, man. I, I, I might start I, wearing eyeliner more often now. I have no I have no problem with you wearing eyeliner. <laughs> Listen, Prince, Prince wore eyeliner back in the day, and so did Morris Day in the time. I mean, and I love those guys. I, I'm not here to judge. I, I was you, just trying Nick, to figure out. You can't out. tell me that every once in a while, like on a Monday night football, when you had a nationally televised game, you didn't have a little eyeliner on to make your eyes pop for the camera. They, they call that eye black. You, you put that underneath your eye. Not, I know not, what it's supposed to be for, but when you're putting it on your eyelids like eyeliner, I get confused. Well, I don't know about that. You've never seen me with that. And if you do, <laughs> you're absolutely uh, too close. Coming up after the break, we will announce uh, a couple of things. And you never guess uh, what some of your sports personalities, fans, uh, and, and media experts have to say about their scariest movies uh, and then also we'll talk about the age of Ultron and dig a little into this huge game this weekend that's right if you've been living under a rock get from underneath it the Denver Broncos head to New England to take on Brady and the game you're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective we'll be right back on the opposite side of this break The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. 
formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. There's a lot of things that happen during the break that uh, some of you guys never get a chance to to hear. We're going to bring that to you and later on in a new segment we call Overdrive uh, behind the scenes. But we're going to talk about this right now. Uh, Mario seems to think that I am really down on the Broncos, especially after I have played for him. But what I said to him, and I'll I say drink again, the Kool-Aid, you drink the Haterade. No, I'm not. Here's what I said to, to Mario. And you guys... Take this in perspective. Last year, the Broncos went through the season. Another historic season. Peyton Manning had a lot of stats. He broke Tom Brady's uh, record. But when they got to the Super Bowl, they were punched in the mouth by a team that was healthy. They ran the ball, so they were well-balanced. And they were physical. And then they were outplayed. They had no way to counteract what was happening to them because it never happened to them before. I'm, all I'm saying is I know the Broncos are a very talented team. They made some upgrades on both the offense and defensive side of the ball. But when you look at the teams that they played so far, even though Mario said these teams have been 500 or were 500 when they played them. Every they, team they've beaten, they've played, except the Jets, were 500 or above when they played Yeah, them. but how many of those teams, Mario, were healthy on the defensive side of the ball? Well, does I mean, are we going to, like, kill the Broncos for playing a team when they're not healthy? That's no, not their no, fault. I, I, I'm not saying but look at the like, okay, the 49ers game. Yeah, Alden Smith was out because he's an idiot and he can't keep getting himself he can't stop getting himself in trouble. Willis was out, Bowman was out, but he's been out for the whole year. Yeah, they were missing a lot of guys. But what did they do, Nick? They blew him out of the water. And in fact, if they had played all four quarters, that game would have been an even bigger blowout. Okay, they come in and they play the Chargers, they beat the Chargers by two touchdowns. All I'm saying is when the Broncos lost the Super Bowl, all I can hear, well, if we had Von Miller, if we had Clady, right, we would that game would have been totally different. So See, but I was not one of those guys. They got, they got outplayed during the Super Bowl. It didn't matter if they had had Von Miller or Chris Harris or Ryan Clady or whatever, because those guys put together, they're, I mean, it would be better than 43 to 8, but they're not, you know, a 35-point difference. Yeah, but once again, that's all I'm saying. I'm not down on the team. I think this team is so much better than it was last year from a skill set and a mentality standpoint, all I'm saying is a guy who's played in the league for 10 years and spent some uh, two years in the CFL, what you need, you need to be really tested at some point before you get to that back end of the schedule. Because so that is, would, is this, this going to be their biggest test of the season? I know this is only going to be their eighth game, so this is, you know, we're halfway there. They got three road games coming up, but after the Patriots, you know, it's a, 
little bit of a what's considered a cakewalk. And then they see the Bengals in Cincinnati week 16 on Monday night. So other than, I mean, maybe they're the biggest challenge, but if they beat the Patriots here, Nick, and they're 7-1 and one halfway through the season, are you a believer? I'm not saying I'm not a believer. You know, I'm not, I've never said that. All I'm saying is, in my personal experience, you want to make sure your team is battle-tested. Yes, this could be an excellent test for the Denver Broncos, considering the fact that, once again, there's always these two teams uh, battling to see who's going to get the number one seed and number two seed. Really, to be totally honest, it really doesn't make a difference. But, you know, for record standpoints and bragging well, rights. Like, you're saying you're saying one and two seeds don't matter between these two teams? Uh, it really doesn't make a difference. Once you get into the playoffs, you're, you're in the playoffs. Okay, well, they're one and two. Broncos were one, Patriots were two last year. What if the Broncos had to go into Foxborough for the AFC Championship game last year? Do you, I mean, is there a different result? I mean, keep in mind, the Broncos have a very, I mean, the Broncos haven't won in Foxborough since you were there, Nick, with Jake P. Say that again. The Broncos haven't won in Foxborough since you were there. With All right, absolutely. <laughs> so no. man, they just need to bring Nick Ferguson back. You know what? Okay, I, I, let me back up for a second. You're absolutely right as far as number one is one and two seeds. That is a difference if they have to go into uh, Foxborough and try, try to win. That's why this game is so important. And then for the Patriots, and, and early on this season, everyone was saying the Patriots are dead, same like they said last year. And I said, you know what? I, I learned to never bet against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And the problem with the team was there was no chemistry involved. They still trying to find a way uh, to run to run the ball. I mean, and when you talk about they using they're using James Wright, Shane Vereen, and Jonas Gray to be kind of a three head monster. But they're starting to play together collectively. You know, as a team, this kid they drafted uh, Logan Mankins from from Tampa Bay, Tim Wright, he's showing up inside the red zone. Gronk is Gronk. They're doing a great job uh, is getting him outside the pocket. And I'm sure the Patriots, someone on the Patriots team is going to be looking for a little get back against T.J. Ward for, uh, you know, the fact of what he did to Gronk when he played for the Cleveland Browns. But uh, Julian Elderman, uh, you know, Brandon LaFell, these guys are coming on for the Patriots. So to me, this is the biggest test. Uh, for the Denver Broncos, and you look at the rest of the season like you talked about, it, it seems like a kind of cakewalk, but that game towards the end of the season, I believe December 14th against San Diego Chargers, that will have some implications in, in this playoff race. So, you know, once again, I'm not down on the Broncos, but I want them to get that first test and then say, okay, well, we have arrived and we're here. That's all I'm saying, Mario. All right, I, I understand you, man, but I will tell you this. They're going to go into New England. And, and remember what happened last year. They absolutely embarrassed themselves. I would rather my team get blown out from the start than be up 24 nothing and get beat at the end, especially the way that they got beat. The Broncos this year have been all about vindication, you know, proving themselves, beating the teams that beat them. And I just think they're going to go into New England and – this, this Peyton Manning-led team is just too good. I know the Patriots just hung 50-something on the Bears, but the Bears are a shell of themselves. And for the last five games for this New England Patriots team, ever since getting blown out by the Kansas City Chiefs, have been at home. That's a, that's a little bit of home cooking right there. That's a very nice schedule maker to have, you know, four out of five games leading up to this showdown with the Denver Broncos be at home. So they've got a little bit of momentum, and 
you know, I know the players are going to say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just uh, another week. It's just another game. We got to approach it the same that w- same way that we do. But again, uh, in comes the humanistic aspect, which, you know, I love talking about. Nick, when you played and you got beat up by a team and embarrassed by a team the year before and you had a chance to play them the next year, you can't tell me you weren't circling that game in big red ink on your schedule. Listen, when we lost to the Steelers uh, to go to the Super Bowl, that's right, four quarters, 60 minutes away from the Super Bowl. Yes, I remember just like it was yesterday. When we played them that next season, I was licking my chops. I had some get back, some pain. I had to unleash like Terry Tate, the office linebacker. Come get some. So I understand what you're saying. So so there's a little get back. I think – the Patriots team, they want a little get back themselves. And, and Browner, Brandon Browner, who's a former uh, teammate of mine for a short period of time with the Denver Broncos, he's now back. He's healthy. And say what you want about the deficiencies of the Chicago Bears. The guys in the back end, you know, came up huge. And this this, this Malcolm Butler kid, uh, this rookie from West Alabama, he played well last week against uh, Alshon Jeffries, who's a taller wide receiver. So this is giving – the, the Bill Belichick and the Patriots fans some hope. You get two corners on the outside that can play man-to-man coverage. You worry about the inside with Patrick Chung and his Malcolm Butler's kid. And this this is going to be a game. I, this should have been one of those the Sunday night primetime game. Right? Hey, before before I before I forget, Nick, and you know we got to talk about this. Uh, how about them Cowboys? You know what? It's very interesting uh, to hear about uh, the Cowboys. And when Jason Romano was on the program last week, you know, he was elated that his Cowboys were doing well. But he just seemed like, just like a lot of Cowboys fans who I've spoken to, it's as though they were waiting for the other shoe uh, to drop. And it's, it's like he knew that something bad was about to happen at some point. Listen, listen to this, what Jerry had to say after the Monday night game against uh, – Washington, excuse me, I almost did it, against uh, Washington uh, after Tony Romo uh, was injured. Uh, they've got a lot of resolve. Uh, we uh, uh, are fortunate that we uh, didn't lose, uh, let's say didn't lose long. You just caught me pretty good. I, don't, I haven't seen the tape on it or anything yet, but it felt like some sort of knee or elbow or something just kind of hit me perfectly. Um, in a spot that kind of obviously sends uh, a uh, negative feeling. So I'm, I'm wondering at that point, you don't really need to send Tony Romo back in the game, but they sent him back in the game. Well, for, and, it was, and it was irresponsible for them to do that, Nick. Yeah, and then when you talk about players' safety, that which seems to be uh, one of those marquee topics that we continue to talk about, he took a tortoise shot before the game, and then you, 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 you probably went back in, took another one, and then he comes back. Uh, to me, you, you're putting your quarterback uh, in, in jeopardy, and to me, I'm, I'm totally uh, against that, and I don't know what the team or the doctors were thinking about. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the team or the doctors or anything. Jerry Jones came down from his suite, Nick. And he basically said, he's like, well, we looked at the replay and the replay didn't look that bad. And that's what he based his decision off of. So it was Jerry Jones that went down there and he was down on the sideline. He went back up uh, at some point in the fourth quarter, but he was, he's like a tyrannical dictator. 
He was the one that told him, you're putting Tony Romo back in. That's how we're going to win this game. And it was just completely irresponsible. But they're not going to talk. No one's going to talk about it because, oh, Jerry Jones is an owner. And as long as he's not, you know, drinking and driving with Airsay, then, oh, it's not that bad. We just give him a pass. Jerry Jones is not a good human being. I'm sorry I had to say it, but it had to be said by somebody. You know, I bring the truth on here. You go look up his track record, the kind of crap that he's done, the kind of human being that he is. And he's not a good guy. And he is what's wrong with the Cowboys. He wills them to lose year in and year out. He's always looking for solutions to the problem. Maybe he should just step down if that's what he's really concerned about because he's a detriment to this team. He's a detriment to himself. You know what? Once again, it's still interesting, and, and, and it's funny that you know, not that many individuals have weighed in on uh, the topic, but I do find it very interesting and questionable to you know put your marquee quarterback in a situation like that where you're sticking him back into the game and risking long-term uh, injury. To me, I, I don't agree with that. But tonight, uh, it is Thursday night, so that means hashtag TNF. That's Thursday night football. The Saints who came a lot against the Green Bay Packers, faced the Carolina Panthers. They're at the Panthers and the Knicks and the Cavs. Now, Mario, before you answer this question, I want you to hear a little bit of a piece of what LeBron James had to say. Um, we will be ready for the 30th as any team is ready for the first game of the season. You know, as the first game of the season, you're not ready to win the championship then. Um, you're not ready for the playoffs then. You're ready for the first game of the season. And it's a long season. Uh, you, you play it. You really don't put too much into the first game. You go out and, and uh, you know, you work on what you've worked on in the preseason and, and, and in training camp. So, so with that, which game are you watching tonight? Knicks at Cavs, Saints at the Panthers. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably flip back and forth. Uh, since it's Thursday night football, we can only assume that one team is going to blow out the other. It's just a matter of whom. I think the Saints got back on the right track. I think they beat up on this Panthers team that is just depleted, depleted, did a terrible job of bringing in any sort of targets for Cam Newton. I'm going to flip over to the other uh, Cleveland-New York game just so I can watch Carmelo lose because, you know, there's one thing I love to watch, Nick. It's Carmelo to lose and struggle. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Real, really quickly before we get uh, out of here, Chadwick Bozeman was announced earlier this week, signed a five-year film deal with Marvel to play Black uh, Panther, which is going to be extraordinary. And some of these tweets that came in, uh, scariest movies, I asked a couple of uh, sports celebrities and commentators to give me their longtime Hurricane fan at John Michael 790 said, Halloween, Exorcist, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Jason Romano, fan of the program, said Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Ring, Exorcist, and Poltergeist, and Jaws. And DIY Network House Crasher host at Josh Temple TV said Jaws. So I ask you, scariest movie you've seen? You know, when I was really little, I watched the movie House on Haunted Hill. And I'm sure if I watched it now, it probably wouldn't be that bad. But the fact that I watched it when I was in middle school i had to sleep with a light on for probably two weeks and another movie that might surprise you saw when i was really little twister scared the crap out of me when i was little because i developed a fear of tornadoes nick my parents and you can ask my dad he still feels bad to this day they brought me to twister they didn't think it would be that bad i think it was pg or pg 13 but i had nightmares about tornadoes tearing our house apart for years to come after that. I still don't like tornadoes because of that movie. So a little unorthodox, a little off the beaten path, but House on Haunted Hill and Twister, believe it or not, even though it's not really a horror movie. All right. 
Quickly, 10 seconds. How ecstatic were you when you watched the trailer for Age of Ultron? I, I was so ecstatic that right after watching it, I got really upset that I have to wait until next May to see this movie. All I'm doing is going on and trying to read anything I can about the script and what's going to happen and, you know, get more on this. The Hulk buster, which, you know, made me squeal like a little girl. I was so giddy. Well, I mean, there it is. I mean, I was really excited about the <clears throat> excuse me about the trailer as well. And I, just like you, as many of many fans, we're going to continue to add to that YouTube amount of people that are viewing that because we can't wait. I, I, I definitely cannot wait to see. Also, Nick, really quick, before I, before I forget, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has signed on to do Civil War, which is uh, Captain America versus Iron Man. So that'll be basically Captain America 3. And Robert Downey Jr. has signed on to do Iron Man, which is good because if you don't have Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man, then you don't have the Civil War movie. I tell you what, you know, I read that comic and then there's a lot of destruction, a lot of good people, superheroes, that is, uh, that are caught up in this conflict. And we lose a couple of them in this battle between Iron Man and Captain America. With that being said, I want to thank my my guest, Bo Estes from joining the program from NBA TV and NBA.com. And as always, Bill Lasky, educating us on baseball. San Francisco Giants once again wins the World Series three to two. Congratulations, San Francisco fans. Enjoy. And as always, enjoy your weekend and have a great time. Big day in sports continues tonight. Cavs, Knicks, Broncos, Patriots. Until next time, I'm Nick Ferguson. This is Secondary Perspective, and that's Mario Batanzi. Talk to you later. again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 